Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time tuning into V Radio, you can check out my archives on either my podcast websites or my YouTube channel. You can check that out at v-radio.us. That's v-radio.us. That's a Linktree website that will take you to the various places you can listen to this broadcast. Now, my broadcast uh, history is all available um, going back to 2008. I've been doing this for a long time. I can't promise that you're always going to agree with me. I have content that would be good for people from the right. I have content that would be good for people from the left. But it's really my objective at this point, and one of the reasons I got back in doing this is to try to open up dialogue between the two sides and have constructive conversations. Because I have real concerns about the future of this country if we can't have good conversations, even with people that we disagree with. And with that said, for the sake of my guest and for myself, I will say that you know the views expressed by my guest are not necessarily reflected by myself, and my views are not necessarily reflected by my guest. So my guest today is Chandler Pappas. He was a direct witness to what took place between Michael Forrest Reinel and Jay Danielson um, and the incident in Portland. And I got in contact with him thanks to you know, some assistance uh, with also just meeting out with him on Twitter and you know, people bringing him to my attention. And I wanted to talk to him tonight about what went on in Portland that night, but also just about the general state of activism the right versus left paradigm, and what's been going on, you know, in this country. So, uh, Chandler, is that the right way to say your name? Uh, Chandler, yes, sir. Okay, well, thank you for coming to the show. Um, The first question I want to ask you is the same question I ask everybody. What was the precipice moment where you decided to go from being just an observer of politics, perhaps, to actually getting involved, being an activist? I would say if there was a defining moment, it was when uh, there was a a gangbanger. I can't remember his his name, uh, Kimmons or something. And it was the very stereotypical situation. The guy pulled his gun on the police, and he was killed for it. And uh, and I'm not celebrating anybody's death here. It's, It's an awful thing to happen, but the typical response from these uh, Antifa types is to come to the street and burn things down. And uh, today, for whatever reason, there was some something happened with some something related to Trump. So they decided to target Trump supporters specifically. Uh, somehow it was their fault that he was killed for pulling his gun on the police. And it's one thing when Antifa's out in the middle of the street in broad daylight pulling people out of their cars. And I believe this made national news, the uh, couple of elderly people, an elderly couple, they had pulled out of the car and started beating on them. And that's, that's one thing. Uh, but, and, and had it ended there, you might not have ever seen me. But when the, police, or the uh, mayor, who is also the police commissioner, orders the police to stand down, I felt maybe some sense of responsibility. I had to go and do something. I wasn't sure what it was, but that kind of law and order is not uh, – cohesive with the the country that I grew up in. And that's a totally fair assessment. And that's something that I've noticed that a lot of people in your position are are basically placed in, is that the local law enforcement is essentially ordered to stand down and just let the rioters do their thing. You know, um, that was true in Kenosha. It was true um, in a lot of, you know, these different circumstances always seem to come down to that, you know, and 
it puts, you know, people, you know, of your persuasion in a circumstance of like, well, do I just sit here and let them destroy the city or do I do something because the police are being ordered not to do anything about it? You know, um, I would say, you know, my reasons for coming back would, would be largely ironically kind of situated around the Kyle Rittenhouse incident. And I did an extensive documentary on that topic. And while I'm left leaning, I'm also really big on the truth. And there were just a lot of people lying. Uh, there was just constant lying, you know, about every detail. Um, things are so polarized that the truth is like this secondary issue. Like the analogy I typically use is that, you know, it's like we're playing like say volleyball in gym class or something as kids. And, you know, the, the coach calls a point for our team. Maybe we know that that point is out, you know, that we shouldn't have gotten that point, but we're not going to say anything because we want our team to win. And that's how I've noticed the politics have become. People definitely don't appreciate, especially as somebody who leans to the left, me pointing out the truth of what goes on in these incidents. And I felt compelled to do the same thing about what happened to you and your friend in Portland. And you've told that story many times, and I just re-released my documentary in a second edition version with more footage. So if people want to get, like, the gritty details, they can go there. The only things that, you know, I had questions about more specifically, actually, one of them came from a member of my audience, you know, who just said, like, you know, I heard, he had heard that you guys were on your way to, like, a taco shop or something in the area when, when this happened. What is that? A taco shop? Uh, dude. There, there are food carts there, but we were headed away from them. Mm, okay. Well, it wasn't like it was just to imply, I guess he said he liked the place, you know, but that, that was it. Um, I, I guess it's just you guys were going out to go find some food. It's like you weren't like on the patrol looking for people. And I didn't, I didn't get that impression either by watching the footage. Like I was like, you know, and the footage even that, that I, because new footage came out well after the fact, which is one of the reasons I made another video. Um, but just that you guys are just, you know, basically trying to get from place to place. And yeah, your friend armed himself, but I can't blame him. He's walking around in Portland and Antifa's just kind of allowed to do whatever they want, you know? So you either protect yourself or you get hurt, you know? And he, he definitely, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and comment on that. Oh, well, so I, so I first of all, I, I appreciate um, being able to have a conversation with somebody rationally who is, who has opposing views of mine. Actually, my, jiu-jitsu instructor, and I like to mention he was my jiu-jitsu instructor because he's uh, the highest degree black belt that you could be, and uh, he's very dangerous. So we have to have a lot of trust in each other to go and get on the mat and, and uh, you know, effectively, you know, 20% try to kill each other. Um, sure. And he was, uh, he was a Bernie bro. You know, he maxed out for Bernie Sanders twice. Uh, mm -hmm. But he, in his own words, said that any opinion that doesn't stand up to scrutiny is not worth an opinion worth having. And uh, I, I totally agree appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's let's agree. I mean, however, I don't know what a good example is, but I I can say for sure that mankind would not be where it is if every single time somebody had an idea, it was shot down, and then the person with the idea just said, "Yeah, you're probably right." Right? We have to have opposing ideas. We have to be able to challenge each other. You go to the gym, you work out, you're challenging the muscle. We have to challenge our brains, or they're not going to grow. So uh, right. So on to the, as far as being armed is concerned, I had a rule about not taking my guns downtown because I never wanted to fight with Antifa over a firearm, right? I never, I never had the intent of killing anybody. I never, I never wanted that to be a situation. So I, I would leave my guns at home. Um, and we've been in any number of scraps with them and they've had rocks and bear mace and uh, sometimes even uh, low grade explosives. 
but it wasn't lethal force, right? Not as, right. as far as I can quantify it. So I never felt the need to. So I had a rule about leaving my guns at home. Um, and so it, it's probably, I guess I assumed that Jay had not carried his firearm either because I knew that I hadn't. So I guess right. when I said we were not armed, Jay was armed. But I also think that it speaks to his character very highly that when faced with a life-threatening situation, he went for the less than lethal option. And unfortunately, it cost him his life. Oh, right. No, and for sure. I was referring to him taking out the baton and the, the bear mace, but it's like, and, but yeah, and, and I did mention that he hit a gun on him, but the reason I didn't bring it up is it wasn't relevant. It wasn't used. It was, it was sitting in his holster. It wasn't fired. You know, and I agree with you. It, that, was, that was an interesting escalation. And some of the stupid conversations I've had with Antifa since then, you know, because they'll try to defend the situation. It was, it was kind of a weird, actually, let me take it, take it back a little moment. So up until that point, People on the left, like me, who were pointing out that Antifa needed to stop the violent BS because it actually harms the credibility of anything that they were trying to push for, you know, they'd, they would always link this article that said, no deaths linked to Antifa in 20 years, you know, so then when this happened, all of a sudden, they don't have that card to try to play into the conversation, um, you know, and so initially, I watched them try to, like, squirm in their seats and go, oh, well, he wasn't Antifa, but he was anti-fascist. And even when they interviewed him, he tried to say he wasn't a member of Antifa. But, you know, his social media revealed later that he called himself 100% Antifa. And for the longest time, they were running around telling everybody, well, if you, don't, if you oppose fascism, then you're Antifa. You know, um, and I revealed some of that in the documentary just because I've gotten into some of their private forums. And these people just openly admit but that's all a ploy, basically, to try to recruit people so that they can radicalize them into the like the further, further left where it starts to get dangerous. You know. Um, yeah, it, almost, I, it reminds me of like a like a pathetic version of La Cosa Nostra, right? Mm -hmm. This thing we have that powers, we it doesn't exist, but it it does exist. Right. It's a big fucking. You know, pardon my language. No, you're fine. I cuss too. Um, it, you know, it, it's funny to me is it reminds me of this quote that said that the, like, the most uh, clever thing the devil ever did was to convince everybody he doesn't exist. Because if you uh -huh. look at even left-leaning, you know, uh, news outlets, nobody was pretending Antifa didn't exist in, like, 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014. You know, they would just openly talk about Antifa and they would interview people who identified themselves as Antifa. And that was normal, you know, and going all the way back to, I was part of the Occupy movement. You know, we had to deal with them because they would show up to our peaceful marches and they would break stuff. And then we would have to like feel the optics of that because that's not what Occupy was about. This time around, they've kind of enmeshed themselves in the Black Lives Matter movement, which I guess is in some ways a spiritual successor to Occupy, although Occupy was really about the banks, you know, but they've convinced everybody from the get-go, you know, not everybody, I should point out, because not everybody in Black Lives Matter does this, but, um, you know, that violence is the most acceptable and most effective way to get the change they want. I've never seen him accomplish anything with it. You know, um, it, it certainly isn't convincing anybody of anything, aside from making people maybe a little more comfortable with the idea that maybe we do need draconian measures. You know, like I have friends who you know, or moderate Republicans who are now like, you know, man, we need to round these people up, you know, like, 
these are people that would never say something like that before this. I I disagree with that statement. They accomplished very much a lot of things that they wanted. Watch the, uh, I mean, the defunding the police, for example. They've used violence and they've gotten away with it. And now we have Seattle is in shambles. Uh, what The cops that they didn't lose to the def- defunding of them uh, have retired. And the few that are left are now about to be, you know, and this is a different topic, but they're about to be reduced even further because of these vaccine mandates. And uh, Portland's the same way. We've got half the sworn officers that we did at the same time last year, and there is no longer any riot response team. Every single officer that was on the riot team has quit. Um, they're now in regular patrol positions. They don't. They will not respond to the riot. Uh, and that was. Oh, and I agree. I agree with your correction there for sure. I think I was scrolling back and thinking a bit more big picture, because it certainly is an improving public opinion. You know, like everybody's watching what's going on in those cities and doing and saying exactly what you're saying. Like, what the hell is this? This doesn't work. You know. Right. Um, and and fortunately, you know, everybody that I know is is kind of we've responded. You know, no nobody this wouldn't be a thing. It wouldn't exist if we weren't being attacked. And it's interesting right. living in a city in, a, in an area like Portland or Seattle and being just sort of surrounded by it. And then I, I've since moved to uh, Arizona and I live in the, the Chandler Gilbert area, with, which is like 30% Mormon and everybody smiles and there's not poop and feces on the road and nobody, people ride, drive around with Trump flags and they pass a guy with a, with a Bernie sticker and, and everybody's all good. And it's, it's like a different form of reality. So living there and having an opinion about what's going on there is, is very different than being here and having an opinion about what's going on there. Or your opinion is going to be different because your experience is just profoundly different. No, I would agree with that completely. And I think like that's one of the reasons why in order to get my views on things, I try to just watch the raw footage. Like, you know, just because there are people who walk around these things. And of course, that's not a perfect impression, but you know, mind you, you're going to be sitting there for hours watching a bunch of stuff that's not relevant. But, you know, it's I think that one of the things that's a problem right now, particularly on the left, and I've talked to a lot of leftists specifically about this issue, is this this endless lying is so out of control. You know, it's like, you know, I don't need to like they all assume if you have a negative impression of what's going on, that you must be listening to Fox News. You know, it couldn't be that with your own eyes you watched people burn and riot and loot. And, you know, it couldn't be with your own eyes that you've, you've watched these things go on. And I think, you know, another element to this is that um, the current wave of activists really don't seem to have much sense of history. Like, they, they don't understand what they've gotten themselves into, and they don't have any basis of comparison. They're not thinking about, like, I don't know, for example, many of them who were also at Occupy. You know, when they elected Joe Biden, they thought that was going to be better for, you know, the left-leaning activists. I'm like, you guys weren't around, I guess, because Obama was not kind to Occupy. You know, like you think you're seeing police brutality now. You know, there was, they weren't playing any games. They just cleared us right out of those parks. You know, and if you tried to stay, they, they, they got rid of you. They didn't, they didn't play softball. There's something weird going on now. You know, um, something, I, go ahead. I was going to say something interesting about uh, as far Thought of uh, this is something actually that Bill Bradley taught me, or it was realized in one of our conversations anyway, that we agree a lot of the problems that there are in this country. We would agree 
uh, about issues with banks. We would agree about maybe uh, certain things as far as wage is concerned. We would agree about politics in some ways as far as uh, who's really representing us and, and does your congressman really speak for you anymore? Um, I think there are some really uh, some really general agreements that we have, but we've, we've cultivated a, an environment and a culture where it's not, it's no longer you and I versus the problem and the best idea prevails. It's you versus me. And therefore we can never come to a solution because I have to dominate you in order to get my way rather than us just figuring out something that's productive and that's best for the, the country and the people who reside in it. Right. No, I agree with that completely. And it's a huge detriment. And the funny thing is, is that if you study the history of this country, the founding fathers were not fond of the concept of political parties in the first place. And George Washington openly said in his farewell address that he was very wary of the party system because a lot of the founding fathers literally fled England because conflicts between political parties led to riots in the streets, which sounds pretty familiar nowadays. You know, um, the, the point that we are at now is that the political parties, you know, and I've said this, actually, I just did an episode about this today, specifically reaching out to my friends on the right about this, but is that, you know, people will do what's best for what they believe their tribe to be, even if it's wrong, you know, um, and that includes uh, trying to spread disinformation. It includes trying to prevent people from learning the truth. You know, and as a result, the, the real losers in the situation is all of us. They're, you know, they, they may get like, maybe they'll get the, their edge on one thing here or one thing there. But, you know, and that's just like our level of it. I honestly feel that at the highest levels, these people are all playing for the same team. Um, you know, meaning the super rich, the, 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 and the, the politicians that they buy, both Republican and Democrat. You know, those people don't really care about us. But they know that we care about certain issues, so they kind of pay lip service to how important they think those things are, specifically to try to get us to, you know, let them control everything. And, you know, what is the end result of that? That, you know, certain people get really wealthy and then a bunch of other people don't. And then they convince the middle class to blame the lower class and the lower class to blame the middle class. And while we're fighting each other over these things, like, you know, an excellent example, you brought up the mask mandates or the vaccines, one or the other. Um, and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's interesting is that during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, a bunch of billionaires got even more wealthy. And the rest of us, like the middle class are struggling because in many cases their businesses were shut down, you know, and the lower class are not necessarily any better off either, you know, and, but we're fighting each other over mask mandates. And I'm not saying it's not something necessarily worth fighting over, but I feel that it's, being pushed in our faces to distract us while they all basically just rob the treasury. What are your thoughts about that? Well, sure. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that uh, I think we, we would generally agree on between the right and the left is that there is a, a super elite and that they pit us against each other. And I think the fundamental difference between, uh, you know, just to keep it simple, the polarized right and the left, at least, you know, as far as the people I am in contact with and that I know personally we believe, it, more accurately, it seems apparent to us that if you try to regulate who makes what money, all you're doing is protecting the super elite, whereas if you have an open market, you get somebody like uh, a Grant Cardone who comes from wherever in some podunk town in Louisiana, and he can build himself up to 
whatever it is that he wants to do, right? If he wants to become super elite, he can. Or however you feel about Jeff Bezos, um, if he made his money legally, uh, he had the opportunity to do that in this country. Whereas if you have a socialist system or a communist system, you only have one person designated to distribute wealth, and then the super elite never are they're never challenged, and there can never be change. Well, and I, and I understand where you're coming from on that. I think that it's important to note that just like there are different levels of people's belief in capitalism, that there are also different levels of people, people's belief in different forms of leftist thinking. And you'll note that I didn't even say socialism because that's a different level on its own, too. Um, you know, some of us, like, for example, me, I kind of lean towards the way that governments like Denmark run. Um, but I, I don't feel the need or the compulsion necessarily to really try to force those kinds of situations on people. There is a version of leftist thinking that believes in free associations like you and, say, a group of your friends might form a business together and then collectively own it. And that can work even within inside the capitalist system. Um, but the, the people that scare me are like, I don't know, I'm sure you saw the thing about that school teacher who was indoctrinating kids into Antifa, that guy had a picture of Mao on his wall. Like, I don't even understand how Antifa, because they're supposed to be primarily anarcho, meaning anarchist communist, would ever tolerate somebody with a picture of Mao. Like, or, you know, I've run into some of them that are Stalinists. Stalin helped Hitler murder anarcho-communists in Spain during World War II, well, during the early phases. I think, I, think it's largely an emo- I think it's largely an emotional argument, right? So in the, in the Northwest, they'll refer to us as chuds. And what I understand, that's fairly localized. Um, and a chud, if you've never seen the movie, stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dweller. It's about these, uh, like, sort of human mutants that live in the sewers of New York. And, oh, yeah, uh, I, I saw I that when I was a kid. <laughs> right, yeah. So I, I, the point, I think, is to... If you dehumanize someone, it makes them easier to be angry at. It makes them easier to, to assault and, in, and, you know, some cases even to kill because it's, the whole thing is emotional. Uh, and it's, it's a whole emotion, emotional argument. It can't be logical behind let's have a socialist communist system where everybody prospers and I'm going to kill 100 million people. Right. right. They, it's the same thing if somebody says uh, we need to be inclusive and everything's about tolerance and they push this whole like loving and motherly and feminine agenda. But God forbid you say all lives matter. I got into it with a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine's friend, because she said something like that and had been spelling the word folks with an X as if that was like more inclusive to the LGBTQ community. And she's just like totally indoctrinated in this whole SJW thing. But you right. say all lives matter, is that inclusive enough? And she freaked out. Right? Well, yeah, because of the stupid word games involved. Go ahead and finish your point. There there is no logic. uh, Actually, I spent the weekend with Gavin McInnes, and he he used the words, the phrase fool's errand. He said it's a fool's errand to pursue logic with these people because the argument is emotional. So – as long as you're feeding them things to be angry about, you can, you can influence people on their emotions to do just about anything. As long as they're angry with us, it's okay to hurt us. It's okay to kill us. It's okay to lie about us as long as they get to where they're going. They have completely dissolved their moral compass and any roadmap that they had in favor of 
their agenda. Right. And the funny thing is, is like from the perspective of the people, the few people that I know that have successfully lived in communes, um, there's one that's been in existence for 30 years called Twin Oaks. Um, but the, the biggest misconception that kids have about this is that they think that they're going to be sitting around collecting checks or something. If socialism works, even in the small form, it's a lot of work. Like the, the crops don't plant themselves, the buildings don't build themselves. It just means that now you're doing all that work yourself. And I don't think that they have an impression of how it would go that actually fits with reality. And the other element is, you know, when you talk about logic and reason, the funny thing is, is it goes even deeper than that. Like, I don't know if you studied anything about what happened to uh, Brett Weinstein at the Evergreen State College. But they basically just witch hunted this guy who was actually a leftist and was certainly not a racist. Um, but at one moment in particular that I talk about a lot on this show, there was a there was this moment where he got alone with just a couple of the students, and there's only audio available of this. But you know, he started talking to them rationally, and he started to make some headway. And the people that were witch hunting him realized that this was happening, so of course they had to go interfere. And at one point, one of the kids literally looks at him and starts yelling at him and says. You have to stop demanding that people use logic and reason and white forms of information. Now, to me, that was like a slap in the face. Like, what did that guy just say? You know, and then it all made sense because if you remember some time ago, the, what was it, the Smithsonian African American Museum um, said that logic, reason, the scientific method are all elements of whiteness. So somebody is teaching these kids that logic and reason itself is a problem. And if you were ever going to have any kind of cooperative society, you can't not have logic and reason. You know, that's just ridiculous. So it's, it's not even beneficial to what they're trying to accomplish, I guess is what I'm getting at. But it is beneficial to whomever is trying to brainwash these kids. And I'm not surrendering my logic and reason for anybody, you know, that then you're totally right about the emotional state of it. And I, I wouldn't say that that is solely the problem that the left has, but it's definitely a big problem the left has right now. But I've dealt with some people on the right who are also emotional. And the, the problem, you know, as I pointed out when I went on a different show, the guy was also a right leaner. He said, I pointed out to him, like Andrew Yang pointed out that when we get stressed, our IQ literally drops artificially. Um, it's a temporary effect as long as we're stressed, but we start making really bad decisions. Now, lately, because of the circumstances, we're all stressed. We're all losing IQ. You know, and if we can't make rational, if we can't have rational conversations, you know, and as you pointed out, we have like caricatures of each other. We don't really, we're dehumanizing one another. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, that, that plays into it because now we're being taught that anybody who doesn't agree with us is automatically an evil person. Not just that they disagree with you, but they're some way fundamentally evil. Do you have any comments about that? I mean, 100%. I 100% agree with that. And also, uh, backtracking just a bit, it is, sure. uh, it's definitely not exclusive to the left. I deal with all the time who are way too... I trigger happy might not be the right word, but they're they're definitely the first up to go and throw a punch. They're definitely they're out there because they're pissed off. And and uh, in fairness, 
I think in some cases they have a right at least to be mad, maybe not to, to act in such a way, but I think a lot of these guys have a right to be angry. We've, we've lost businesses. We've lost, we've lost a lot actually in the last couple of years. And I think the anger is justified, but I, I don't think that the approach while angry is justified. I also think it's important for us to, to mention, like, I don't know if you're a religious man, but uh, Jesus, Jesus taught us to hate the sin, not the sinner. And we take sure. this approach where, Everybody who's involved in it is just bad, and we can't get anywhere. Right? You, you and I could probably sit down and discuss the, the nuances of socialism and social programs all day, and, and perhaps because it's, I'll just, uh, because it's more of a left-leaning opinion, we'll just say maybe you're more in favor of a socialized Medicare or socialized medicine in general, and I might say, well, it might be better instead of forcing me to pay for somebody else's medicine um, you can just regulate the drug companies and what they are allowed to make on that product or how long a patent is valid for before it can go to the free market and whoever puts it out the cheapest gets, you know, gets, to, to, gets the spoils, gets the return, right? And we could debate sure. those opinions because we, we fundamentally, I think you and I would agree that, that all men are created equal. And that's how I got along with my, my former jiu-jitsu instructor. We agree that all men are created equal. And from that single building block, we could discuss anything, and we never had a problem with each other. Right. It would well, be interesting. And I would, Go ahead. Finish. I, I was just saying it would be interesting to see in my lifetime if we can ever get back to a, a situation like that where we could respectfully disagree and perhaps grow as a nation. Well, yeah, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly, and that's why um, I, I think I mentioned to you, for example, the, the teamwork between Congressman Dennis Kucinich and Congressman Ron Paul when they were both in the Congress. They were both constitutionalists. One of them was left-leaning and one of them was right-leaning, but they actually, ironically, because they were strict constitutionalists, ended up working together quite a bit against everybody else because in that time period around 2008, things like the Patriot Act were passing and um, you know, uh, illegal war resolutions were going going around, and so they were the two voices that worked together, and they pointed out that the eagle needs two wings to fly. So I would agree with that, and I think that it, part of the problem in, is that if your ideas are, are not something that you can handle being scrutinized, then how strong are your ideas? And that's really what the left is being encouraged to do right now, to its detriment is to not have these conversations. Like I'm sure I'm going to take crap for even talking to you. You know, I had Lynn Wood on my show, you know, that guy's really right, you know, but we had a good conversation, you know, I mean, there were plenty of things we didn't agree on, but we, we respected each other as human beings. And I think that that's the element that's being lost. Like you said earlier, dehumanizing. You know, but I guess let me get back to let's you know, make sure I cover some of the things that I wanted to discuss, you know, about what take, took place in Portland. Um, and it's fine if we move around a little bit. My listeners are used to that. My style is a little closer to like Joe Rogan. It's not sound bitey. It's meant to be organic so you can be yourself. But um, so one of the things that still irks me to this day um, watching footage is that black car that accelerated to get up to you guys. And it really felt to me like, I, I don't know per se that maybe they were in on it, but it felt to me like they knew it was happening. Um, because, like, if you watch the footage, they, like, they literally hit the gas and, like, tried to get up there. And the other thing was this guy screaming no. Like, and, I, and who the hell was that? And was he trying to tell them not to do it? Like, go ahead and give me your thoughts on that. 
That's a, that's a heavy one. I definitely, I think it's suspicious at the very least. I think it's more suspicious that we found the DA has direct ties with uh, several Antifa members, like very well-known Twitter right. accounts and stuff have mentioned him. Um, and he didn't pursue investigating any of them. As far as I, as far as I know, at least, even the cameraman who, and, and some of this is hearsay because when this first happened, I, I really didn't, I couldn't handle watching a lot of the, the video footage and things were happening so fast. I was being invited on all kinds of shows and people wanted my opinion and attention everywhere I went and they wanted to come and talk to me about the situation. So I, I hadn't taken the time um, just to, you know, full disclosure to, to verify all these things. But what I understand from what I've heard is that this, uh, this camera guy was effectively told by Rynell that he, if you're looking for something interesting, follow me and I'll give it to you. So it seems like he had intent. Um, the car being there, the, uh, the guy with his arm around the girl that looked back and gave him the nod, like, why was there a nod? Like, these are the guys that you're, I mean, these are Trump supporters? Or what? I don't know. I also think, so I think it was planned. I, I mean, at the very least, it was planned by right now. Uh, the guy was looking for somebody to shoot. There was no reason to shoot. Uh, you saw the video. Anybody with, uh, you know, anybody who's seen it can discern for themselves that that was not a justified killing on his part. Well, I honestly and feel I that if that, they hadn't interfered with you guys, you'd have just went on your way, and that would have been it. I, mean, that, that's, I didn't have I mean, here's the other thing, too. I, I, we are two guys leaving a – we're leaving our numbers, right? And we're, we're effectively walking into enemy territory. There are, they're outnumbering us by dozens, if not hundreds. The stupidest right. thing we could have been doing is looking for a problem, right? Particularly, particularly like, I mean, in, in my mind, we were both unarmed. But even with his little, like his single Glock, he's probably, if you were going to go and start a war, that's probably a really bad position to put yourself in, you know? Um, right. So anyway, I think however many people were involved, it's at the very least suspicious that car was there. We know he was planning something, whether his, I mean, whatever. Sure. I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, this happened, what, three or four days after the Kyle Rittenhouse situation? Right. And it makes, me, it makes me wonder if this was something that they were trying to get a rise out of the right, if they were looking to create a, a uh, forgive me for this, but, but if they were looking to create some kind of a George Floyd moment for right-leaning people and see how we were going to react, if we were going to take to the streets and just, you know, start a freaking war with these people. I don't, I don't know what the thought process was there. I don't know much about Antifa's, like, organization as far as higher-ups go and who would have coordinated such a thing, but it, it's curious. It really makes me – yeah, no, it's definitely curious. It really makes me wonder if perhaps there might have been some kind of internal strife about the decision to do it. That's also, like, why I wonder whoever was screaming no – like if they knew what he was up to and they were trying to stop them because it was contradictory to Antifa's um, image at the time, because they were trying to pretend to be scary, but we don't kill people, you know? Um, and, but I definitely, I, I don't know if maybe somebody tipped them off and then they showed up because they were hoping to prevent it or if it was just optics, like they just wanted to be sure to show up there to look like they were trying to help. There's so much confusing stuff going on, but I've, I've managed to get, into certain private areas where Antifa talks about their business and 
when you talk to, depending on the chapter, it's different wherever you go, but basically they have kind of this ridiculous anarchist system in place that they think would work if they were ever trying to defend themselves against any kind of opposition, but they don't always necessarily have a hierarchy that actually calls the shots. And so they think they're trying to achieve consensus. This is what happened. Actually, they revealed this recently when they got the shit beat out of them in Portland, you know, when the, when the proud boys chased them out of there, like tiny and them, this would be the one where there was the Kmart rally, you know, it was that they were all fighting with each other about where they should be going, what they should be doing. And, you know, I do think that there are useful idiots in the situation, like people who are maybe not in the know, um, you know, but people who have emerged out of Antifa since then have said things like that. There is a, like a, a conference that they go to where they do meet like different groups meet once a year to discuss what they're going to do. Um, I, I don't know. There, there's so many question marks in the scenario. And that's why I was just wondering what your gut instinct was of, you know, of it. Um, you know, yeah, my, and my gut instinct is that it was good. No, no, you go ahead. Yeah, no, my gut instinct is that it was definitely planned. And I think that they realized that riots can only last for so long and they needed to, you know, they needed to sort of take the next step, whatever that was. And in their mind, I guess that was murder. Yeah, I'm willing to, that's not, that's, that's definitely, I'm, I'm willing to accept that as a possibility too. I just, I've had a couple of guys on who have covered them in the past and they seem, depending on the group, they seem to have kind of an inflated opinion of how effective they are. Um, you know, and I, I'm, and I'm glad that it didn't result in just blood in the streets you know, but ironically, that's also because I know that a bunch of these kids are going to get themselves killed. Like, it's like they, they have this inflated concept of what's going on. And, and ironically, in addition to that, the only reason that they're getting away with this stuff is because the state is there to protect them. You know, like how many times have you right. watched cops literally have to rescue Antifa? You know, uh, because oh, yeah. if there was no state, they'd be dead. Go ahead. Yeah, they call the cops and they'll tag Antifa or they'll tag the FBI and, and Portland PD on Twitter. And they they could not they couldn't be what they are without the help from the police, which is by proxy. You know, it's really the help from the D.A. and from the mayor, who's also the police commissioner in Portland and from the governor. And it's not just that they allow these things. They openly encourage them, which is actually why um, after a year. Yeah, Jay's family has finally decided to sue the city for their, their approach to the situation. Um, and I, I hope they win and I hope they learn something from it because more people are continuing to get hurt. Uh, I think it's up 800% shootings in this last year. Um, yeah. or, or this year, it should be up 800% over last year. And shootings were up last year as it was. So they've created a, a situation where it's really not safe, especially for somebody like me, to leave my home without a plate carrier and a clock. Why, right. why would the regular, why would a regular citizen want to live in that? Right. And that's, in, you know, that's an interesting point. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just like to your point earlier, big picture, where does that really leave us? How effective is Antifa really? Because I think we're going to reduce Portland to Detroit or Chicago, and then it's going to be left that way. They're going to have a bunch of social programs to feed, a bunch of people partially because the city's never going to have any money again. 
Well, right. And that's part of the reason why there are leftists in, I mean, it goes all the way back to Martin Luther King, who realized that that it's not just that it's immoral, it's not effective. And it in many cases has long-term consequences. Los Angeles still hasn't even recovered from the Rodney King riots. And that was a long time ago. It has a lasting, right. It has a lasting detrimental effect because who is ever going to want to open up a business in your community in that situation? You know, who is ever going to want to invest there? And and their solution to that is just to try to like guilt trip people and, you know, say things like you're engaging in white flight or whatever. But I'm like, no, you've made it clear that you reserve the right to riot and burn and destroy the community anytime you don't like something that the police or some government official did. You know, I don't want to live in that situation. You know, and that's why I started this off by saying, you know, even with like what I watched, you know, like a, a baton and bear mace, that sounds like fair game if I'm walking around in Portland. You know, I've already determined, I mean, aside from my physical limitations, if I ever went to one of these things again, I, I'd be armed. You know, absolutely I'd be armed. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah, why be, those guys were armed in Kenosha. Go ahead. Right, you'd be you'd be irresponsible not to be. Um, right, especially if the police aren't going to help you. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's the other thing too. You know, so far by my count, and and again, this is this is a, a biased view, but as far as I can see from what I can read on on Twitter and on other uh, media outlets and stuff, Portland police is asking very. They're asking a lot of questions about individuals who were there that day um, that you were just referring to, August 22nd, where the left were throwing explosives at the gas station. Uh, sure. And they're asking for information on these people who are right-leaning. And I have, I have yet to personally see, not to say it isn't in there, and I haven't checked in, in days now, but uh, I haven't personally seen them ask anything about anybody who is in black law. Right? The law is not applied equally up there. I'm, I mean, I don't know if you've uh, Googled my name recently. I'm looking at a theoretical maximum of over a half a century in prison if you stack my car, all of my charges up together because we were there to legally attend a, uh, a special session, a decision-making session at the Capitol building. The right. governor decided that she would close it, and there's some, you know, uh, what do you call it? There's some, I guess, uncertainty about whether she was legally allowed to do that or not. Um, under right. my understanding is that he wasn't, uh, and I think probably it'd be pretty hard for me to deny at this point that I was at least inside there. Uh, I don't want to say much more than that because, I, like I said, I am facing charges for that. But these sure. people have been throwing explosives at the at a federal building and at federal officers, you know, they for a whole summer, and they've been assaulting police and discharging their firearms downtown, and they they just shot Tiny, and it's a, a divine intervention as far as I'm concerned that he caught it in the foot, not the dome. Right. These people oh, get yeah. away with just about everything because it is not only allowed, it's encouraged. They, they perpetuate the problem because of their perspective. And it's, again, like you said earlier, it's, uh, it's more for it's about what's right for my team, not what's right. And that's the whole problem with social justice, right, is justice for the person you want is not justice, right? Justice is objective. And they've, they've kind of muddied the waters on that, which is their – it seems to be their, their very – most powerful weapon probably is is muddying the waters and deception. Well, right. And that's what, you know, my work has been about is like cutting through the deception and I get called a traitor for it. And I'm like, look, you're not on my goddamn side if you got to lie to get things done. And so they lied about what went on with your friend. 
they lied recently about stabbing somebody in Los Angeles. This guy named Chad Loader tried to cover it up and say, oh, well, that guy, the kid who stabbed him was defending himself from attacks with a skateboard. So I literally put a video together, you know, just stringing all the times that Antifa in L.A. has hit people with skateboards. And they did so brutally in many instances, you know. Um, and then they lied about the tiny thing. Say that yeah. again, I'm sorry? I was going to say, not to mention rocks and water bottles full of piss, but yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, they do it on a regular basis, and like they're trying to cover up for their ideology, but their ideology openly says that they will initiate violence with anybody that they perceive to be fascist, and their definition of what fascism is keeps changing. You know, like, it's it's this ever-broadening new, like, like basically that's one of the things because I, I like I just got into an argument recently with people. It's like, look, I'm not a proud boy. I'm not a member of Patriot Prayer, but they always assume that I am because I'm calling out Antifa on their bullshit. And I'm like, but I don't see fascism here. These look like people who are patriotic Republicans. Many of them are Christians. And I'm not saying that there aren't any bad apples because I'm sure there are. I mean, like Villain Report reported this one guy on the right who bear maced him. And he's not, you know, he's just a reporter. He's not involved. But the point is, is that, you know, is that they're trying to create, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just said, I I know villain. I remember the situation you're talking about and he's right. He's be holding each other accountable, but I I don't want to divert from your point. No, no, that's totally fine. Um, I guess my point was just to say that they're not, you guys aren't fascists. I'm not getting that vibe, especially the people who are fighting for free speech. (laughs) Well, you know, right. fascists so that's, are not that's free. The thing, right? Go ahead. That's the whole thing. I I wouldn't know any of the Proud Boys. I wouldn't know Joey Gibson. I wouldn't know uh, Villain. I wouldn't know the Common Sense Conservative or BC Preacher. I wouldn't know any of these guys at all if we were um, if there if there wasn't a fascist arm of the left trying to tell me what I can and can't do because disproportionately. Every single person that I have ever met at any of these events who has come on, on the right side has said or been of the, uh, the belief and the, the sentiment that they would rather have spent their summer at the lake riding, driving their boat with their children in tow on a donut and having barbecues and drinking beer and watching football and worried about growing their business and being a good father and being a present husband than worrying about whether their fucking business is going to burn down, right? Or their friend's business, or when are they going to come into my neighborhood and start throwing rocks at my neighbors, even the ones that have the BLM signs in their fucking yard. Right. Everybody that I know is, is only responding to fascist action by so-called Antifa. Well, right. And the problem is, is that when you read their books, cause I'm currently having to deal with the critical theory stuff, making its way into my school system we're doing a good job of stopping it. But when you read critical theory books, they openly just say that allegedly authoritarianism can only come out of the right. And I'm like, that's just horseshit. But that's just bullshit. But there's no truth to that statement at all. I'm like, there are absolutely authoritarian leftists. There's one in China right now. Stalin was a murderer. You know, Mao was a murderer. You know, (laughs) it's like, what what, what freaking world are these people living in? Is, is, you know, is uh, like, authoritarian communist North Korea, you know, not led by an authoritarian. Like I just, it's so ridiculous. But the problem is, is that it creates a situation just like the supposedly only 
you know, that black people can't be racist is that it encourages this behavior because you're told, well, you can't be because of your ideology or because of your color of your skin or because of your position in life, you cannot be authoritarian well, or racist or whatever. Go ahead. And they've done a really good job of that because it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's a whole emotional argument. So when you live in an sure. echo chamber and you're told time and time again that you're, you can't be racist because you're black or because you're pandering to the blacks and you're on the left, you can't be racist or whatever, um, they, they don't ever get an opportunity to have their thoughts challenged so they don't grow. It's just more and more and more responsive and reactive. And so those reactions eventually, if you're sold on something and you don't have a way to back it up, you, as, a, as an individual, would probably say, hmm, maybe I should look at a way to back that up. But these people seems to just trigger an entirely emotional um, response because they've only – so it becomes – I mean, what do you do if you're being attacked? For them, and the way to do that is physical violence, whereas you and I might contend with our, with our words, with our ideas, right? They, they don't have that. That's a weapon they don't have. That's like – you and I are fighting with knives, and they don't have a knife, so they're going to they're gonna level it up and bring a gun. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't help that most of them kind of come off as, like, cowards in the first place. They don't really strike me as people that would be successfully violent outside of a gang of people. Um, you know, and oh, right. I, can, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've invited them to uh, come to the ring. There's, a, there's an octagon on Woodstock uh, that I've spoken to the owner about, many times, hey, you know, if these guys have an issue, like, I'd rather handle it off the street. So go right. ahead. I've yeah, you're not going to get any response on that. That's standing, right, yeah, though, there's a standing invitation from coming up on a year ago to, to come. I have yet to have one single individual take me up on it. And I actually had a guy say something the opposite. He, he had proposed his own situation. Uh, so, you know, whatever, if there's a proud boy in the area with you know, that weighs this much or, or whatever, I'd love to just get in the ring with you and go down. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not a proud boy, but we're in the same weight class, and uh, tell you what, let's make it happen. Total silence. <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't see it. Yeah, well, it's not about growing. It's not about fighting. It's not about learning the other side or learning to exist peacefully and, and live in a cohesive society. It's about destruction, and they per- they perpetrate. They perpetuate that in all of their actions and all of their rhetoric. And what I would say to you, ironically, because I have friends who are anarchist communists, that the left is also starting Mm -hmm. to get sick of them. Um, Now we're getting to a point where, for example, I I know anarchists going back many years who are like, you know, if you're really trying to convince people that we don't need the police and we don't need the state, you know, behaving like this is probably the last way to do that. Like, you're never going to convince anybody that they don't need police by walking up and shooting an innocent man because you don't like his ideology. You're never going to convince people that we don't need the police by roving around as, you know, as basically a gang of people beating on anyone you don't agree with and then having some stupid way of suggesting that somehow that's self-defense because you're trying to prevent fascism from taking hold. Nobody's going to, nobody agrees with that. It's not, it doesn't even help anarchists. Like they're supposed to be trying to create a peaceful society where people don't need the state or police and they're doing the opposite. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't even make any sense from their own point of view. And, you know, that's why I've been kind of like trying to work and reach out to other leftists who are sick of this because 
we're being silenced. Like you get intimidated. They yell at you. They threaten you. In fact, ironically, I've never been threatened by anybody from the right in my entire life as an activist, not even when I was camping, marching, you know, doing any of the things that I did with Occupy. The only time I have ever been doxxed or had my life threatened was by leftists. And I'm a leftist. Like, that, that, yeah. that's just the well, truth of it. Yeah, Bill Bradley was kicked out of every leftist organization he ever was a part of or even started. He started the, the Red and Black Cafe. And he's mm-hmm. been involved in any number. I mean, campaign for Bernie Sanders, he campaigned for Barack Obama. He was like, he was into it, but he's been always kicked out because he's, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't call him neutral because he's definitely left-leaning, but he, he's rational and treats people like people. And so right. it's, it's just feels like such, such a strange time, you know, for me at least to be alive. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. It's like the Chinese hit us with their may you live in interesting times curse. You know, um, I, I'm hoping that somehow society can grow from it. I'm hoping that, you know, in some way we can realize. But I just part of the problem, I think, here is that we have too many people who have forgotten certain things. They've forgotten the lessons, you know, like, uh, for example, war. You know, we've forgotten about war. Like everybody suddenly they're talking about war again. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm glad that you guys are finally discussing Afghanistan and Iraq. I never stopped discussing those things. You know, but the people who definitely can't forget that are the people who live in those countries. You know, um, we've forgotten about, you know, what it's like to actually like go to protests and actually be like, you know, these guys who think that they're fighting the cops. I'm like, if you were actually fighting the cops, you'd be dead in minutes. I'm like, they're basically, you know, ordered to stand across from you with plastic shields, you know, and and batons, and for the most part, not even allowed to do anything. Like, if you were fighting the cops, you're not even dealing with what Martin Luther King dealt with. Like, nobody's actively, proactively trying to beat you down. Nobody's sticking dogs on you. Nobody's using water cannons. You know, none of that. But they live in this delusional world where they're becoming revolutionaries somehow. But... You know, I guess you you mentioned January 6th, and obviously I don't want to get you in any kind of situation where it's uncomfortable, but I do want to take a moment just to give my own thoughts, if you don't mind. Um, I I was not referring to January 6th. I had my own event at, uh, well, it wasn't my event, but there was a a separate event at the Oregon State Capitol, and that's where my charges are coming from. They're all all local charges in Oregon. No, I didn't know if you were at 6th or not. I was like, oh, okay, maybe when... Well, I will give my point no, on January 6th anyway for the sake of the context. But you were right. Yeah, and all the ahead. arguments that you just made are the same things that I've said, which to me was like when they obsessed about that, I was just like, really? You know, like everything you said about attacking federal buildings, you know, about – that's all true. You know, I did a documentary specifically about this topic called Insurrection. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, because – there's this ridiculous blind spot going on right now that if you followed the media, you would think that January 6th was the only riot that even happened in the last three years. Like, you know, you wouldn't even be, it's like the other riots are completely out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, I agree with you completely on the fact that these people are somehow not being prosecuted, you know, and people call it Trump's America or whatever. But when Trump tried to send in federal troops to help, they came down on him out. They didn't want the help, supposedly. I guess they had it all well in hand by not doing anything. You know, and you know, I, I, my, my, my take on it was just to say that there were 
one of the things I realized in studying January 6th was that just like any other incident, there were varying degrees of involvement. You know, so not every person who was there was like fighting with cops and not every cop just let people in. The whole situation is so complicated and came from many different angles. And then they tried to make it a white supremacist thing. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because there's video of a black guy, you know, fighting alongside other patriots trying to get into that tunnel, you know, and he got knocked out. Right. And then they very carefully took care of him and pulled him out of the fray to protect him. I'm like, this is not a white supremacist group of people. You guys need to accept the fact that not you, meaning that the left needs to accept that not everybody who is wearing a MAGA hat is racist. They, they don't they don't want to ever face that. Go ahead. I think their their rhetoric is is somewhat evolving. I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen the the blackface of white supremacy now that they've called Larry Elder. Uh, if you look at the national chairman of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, and I, I don't know um, how how worldly anybody who's listening is, but I'll tell you what, Enrique is probably not the whitest name I've ever heard. And <laughs> right. coincidentally, the guy's not white. You know what I'm saying? Um, if sure. you look at if you take any look at any of our events, we're always very very diverse, um, oftentimes percentage-wise more so than would be, uh, or how do you say that, where uh, I think black people still make up about 13% of the population, and as you right. break it down, or most of our events, or many of them anyway, there are more than 13% black people in attendance, not to mention Latino or, or Asian or, you know, whatever other ethnicities. Um, it's, very, it's very much another one of those ideas that doesn't hold up to scrutiny, and it's amazing that it's been just force-fed to the, you know, the regular whatever intermediate Americans who aren't so political for, you know, years now. It's been years. They, they call Joey Gibson uh, racist. He's, uh, he's half Japanese. They call Enrique racist. He's in Enrique. He's a black uh, Cuban immigrant, actually. Um, I mean, we could go, we can go on and, and on and on. Tiny Samoan. Uh, and, ooh, tiny Samoan, right? Um, yeah. Black conservative preacher. Take a guess if he's white. Uh, it was his wife actually that was up. Yeah, it was, it was his wife actually that was up on uh, on the news the other day. She was very upset that they threw explosives at her children at a uh, a church event. He was, the guy was literally there for prayer, and they came in chanting "Hail Satan" and throwing explosives. And of course, you know we're we're just right back to they're not going to charge them. And and what's the? I guess it makes me curious. What is the whole purpose, right? Because, like you said, if you follow the mainstream media, you would think January 6th is the only riot that's ever happened. But why? What, what is the benefit that these cities have reduced to rubble? Portland will never be what it was. There, there was a point, and I'm not sure if it, that's still the case, but I had an insurance agent, a friend of mine who's an insurance agent. She told me that there was not an insurance company in the entire country that would insure a business because of what the city was allowing to happen. Riots are one thing allowed and encouraged and endorsed riots or another thing the day after jay was murdered the day after the mayor had gotten on the uh, television and the governor too um i think on following monday and declared that white supremacy and hate have no place in her city and then they proceeded to blame donald trump for the, the murder of my friend <laughs> that that doesn't even that, that's best? just ridiculous what, what, what what, what do they get out of it, though? I'm curious. What do they get out of it? What is the what is the win for them to destroy the city? What is the win for them that they no longer have 
one-tenth of the, the tax income that they did? What, what is the benefit when a city is reduced like that to nothing, when everybody's unemployed, when every business is boarded up, when you, nobody can get insurance for a business so they can't start one, where half, the, half of the uh, police have retired or been fired or just straight up quit? Where, where is the win for them? Where, where does it go? Where is it supposed to go? At what point well, they, do you say, hmm, maybe this isn't going the way I want it to. Maybe we should do something different. Well, they, I think that it really comes down to, because, like, I remember getting into an argument with an Antifa member about abolish the police. And one of the things I said, and this is ironic, because this actually, um, the FBI just noted that uh, the Mexican cartel has taken a special interest in Seattle. Well, they defunded their police. Um and I said to them, okay, so you're going to abolish the police. What are you going to replace it with? And they said, well, nothing. I'm like, okay, so what, you know, what are you going to do? And they wrap every crime into capitalism. They, they said, except for crimes of passion, you know, that they all come from capitalism. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting because the Russian mafia was pretty tough during Soviet Russia. And, you know, the Chinese triad is also a very dangerous criminal organization you know, but but that's well, besides the point. You know, the, the main point is that they say that they think that they are going to collectively as a group, you know, you think us Antifa militants are going to stand down? And I'm like, if the cartel rolls up into Portland, you are going to stand down because they will shoot you dead. <laughs> They're well, not the and cops. That's, that's the argument. <laughs> you'll hear that. Yeah, you'll hear that argument from, from, the, from people on the right a lot. Um, Police are the great equalizer, right? Without them, I mean, disproportionately, it seems a lot of these uh, Antifa guys are homeless. They have a lot of guys who have drug problems. They're, a lot of them are mentally ill. They've got, like, the, the whole gender dysphoria thing going on. Um, disproportionately, right-leaning people are exponentially better armed. And so when there's no equalizer, when there's nobody to say, yeah, I'm going to let you out of jail, or, yeah, I'm just going to arrest you, and not shoot you even though you just threw a firebomb at me. If you throw a firebomb at me personally, that is, uh, I mean, that's lethal force, right? And sure. I'm going to be forced to respond to that. So it, it's, it's an interesting approach. And, and actually, I think there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of countries have had criminal organizations come to great power during uh, politi- times of political turmoil like this because those Mexican cartels, they got money and they've got guns. When they have more money and more guns than the police and there's enough money to be extracted out of a place like Portland when they're selling enough drugs in a place like Portland or Seattle or Los Angeles or wherever, it makes more sense for them to have a greater presence there. And if we have, a, we have no local police and we don't have enough federal police to do something about it, well, shit, where does that leave us? Right. No, I agree. And that's, it, I think that they, they, they've ideologically have been brainwashed to believe that that will work. And it's something that ironically, I think maybe it helps that I'm a leftist who grew up in the ghetto, like legit, like my neighbor was a crack dealer, drive-by shootings, you know, gunshots were so common that I just stopped reacting. Like I didn't even realize that it happened to me until I had a friend over and a, a automatic weapon goes off down the street and he like jumps in his chair and I didn't even, it was just so normal to me, you know, so a lot of these kids don't know what that looks like. They have no idea. Um, I had a friend who's an African-American gentleman who goes to these rallies and he just kind of sits quietly and he listens. He goes to BLM stuff and things like that. And I said, so 
you know, what kind of people do you encounter who want to abolish the police? He's like, well, it tends to be two groups of people. And I'm like, well, what, well, who are they? And he says, people who are totally naive about crime, like just have no idea what they're talking about. Like they, they believe that, you know, all the stuff about that's said about the ghetto is, is fiction. It's just not true. And it's just like racist mischaracterization. And I said, okay, so what is, you know, what was, he made a joke about it. He says, they think they know the hood because they drove through my neighborhood once to go to a club or to a concert or something. He's like, and I said, so what are the other group? You know, he's, what's the other group? And he says, criminals. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, people that I know that flat out are lifelong criminals that I grew up with who are gang no. members, drug dealers. Of course they want to abolish well, the police. And then he made one more comment that I'll put out there because he watches uh-huh. my videos. He's like, have you ever noticed the, that it's funny that of the four people that Kyle Rittenhouse had to interact with that night, all of them, but one of them were felons, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, no, that's uh that's a, a really solid point. And if you follow any of uh, Andy knows stuff, he likes to post about their, um, the extensive criminal histories. Most of these people who get arrested have, but I, I had a, an interesting take on it because I have a family friend who is uh, African-American. He grew up, and the ghettoist ghetto part of Portland, he grew up as a crack dealer. The cops all knew who he was. He was very much profiled. He was very much, I mean, it's not to say that some people don't abuse their power. Sometimes those people are police. Uh, right. And his take, he just got out uh, on an eight-year stretch in federal prison. He'd been out for five years, I think. And we were having this conversation. He says uh, he's 6'5 and 320 pounds, and that's relevant. Because he said... You know what happens when you defund the police? Motherfuckers might be your home and decide what's yours and what's mine. Right? Police yeah. are the great equalizer. And even even with his complete and utter disdain for law enforcement, he recognizes that. Right. I had a guy on who's an anarchist leftist, but he also was a teacher at a prison. And his experiences there made it very clear to him that there has to be some kind of way to deal with these people. And he said that his own inmate students said that the idea of abolishing prisons is just absurd. And these are the guys that are in prison. You know, who's going to do that? Some 90 pound dripping wet Antifa, 17 year old Antifa girl is going to come and, and decide to regulate. Like, come on. Right. Well, it's definitely not good. I say if they could be real with themselves for just a second, they might see that they really don't, they really are not going to be able to self-police. And I sure as shit am not going to let somebody else decide for me what is right and what is wrong. Because, I mean, most of my laws have been, we've voted for these things, right? There's a, there's an order to this. We're all in a matter of agreement about theft being illegal, about murder being illegal, about the things that are legal being legal. And when you have no police to regulate what is written in law, you just have somebody making that decision for you. And again, it'd just be reduced to who has the bigger guns. Well, and we pointed out earlier about when the cartel has more guns than the police. When you look at Mexico, they recently, I want to say last year, captured El Chapo's son. And so the cartel simply just launched a a military-like assault on the Mexican government. And the Mexican government had to let the guy go. (laughs) <laughs> because the cartel yeah, because, yeah. had more power than them, you know. Yeah, overwhelming um, force. Right, and, and like that's with the defunded police. And ironically, that when he let them go, he lets this guy go that they've been trying to get for you know decades. 
Um, then he's like, we're going to work on more social programs to discourage crime. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to work. And it, it, I want to be clear, it's not that I don't think that poverty doesn't play a serious you know, role. That, that's not the issue. It's just that there are multiple elements to this. And that's something that I've said to multiple people was that this is one of the other things that I learned from growing up in those neighborhoods is that there's elements of what the right says needs to be done in those neighborhoods and elements of what the left would say that needs to be done in those neighborhoods in order to fix this issue. Because there's still a personal responsibility factor and unfortunately, the left has labeled anybody who says that, you know, as racist or whatever. But the truth is, where I went to school, if you did good at school, it was a reason to get jumped. Like, socially, they do not like kids who do good at school in those neighborhoods. All the kids want to be gangbangers and all the girls want to date them. You know, like I had a guest on recently. His name is Pastor Corey Brooks. And he works in Chicago in like one of the most violent parts of the United States. And he does good work getting kids out of the ghetto. But it's not about, you know, abolishing police. It's not about burning your community down. You know, it's about being a mentor and being involved in these kids' lives and making sure that they don't get in with the wrong people. It's a, it's a cultural okay. issue. So, Sorry? so on that, uh, so on that um, I think that there are a lot of people – who would agree that that, that that's a problem. And for what it's worth, like I said, I just spent the last weekend with Gavin McGinnis, and he, what his description of what the Proud Boys was started to be and what what the intention of it was and what it's become uh, in some ways and different in others, but it, it was literally to fill that gap. It was so young men had a mentor. It was so... People could come together, and maybe maybe your immediately fam- your immediate family doesn't have three grand to loan you, so you can buy a truck and start a, a power washing business. But maybe one of the guys in the club does, or they can pool together and help you. And I, I know of that exact situation happening right. Oh no, um, mm-hmm. the intent of that club was exactly to fill that hole. And I think that it's it's really important to note that a lot of people it seems on the left and the right would agree that there, there's a huge lack of, um, well, frankly, of good male leadership. Right. Well, and we're being told that not only do we not need it, that it's somehow bad, you know, and I just, it, okay. So like at the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, I helped direct a youth wrestling team. I'm, my son is literally the only white kid on the team. <laughs> We drive to go be part of this because I'm friends with the guys who run it. And ironically, these guys all think that this stuff is crap too. And they're all, they're all people of color. You know, they all think that, no, what the the solution is, is we need to give these kids somewhere to go, you know, something to do, somewhere to be that's not that, you know, and that's the element of things that nobody wants to discuss. Like, and unfortunately that because say Ben Shapiro would say something like that, then the left doesn't want to hear it at all, even though it's true. Like Pastor Corey Brooks is not like some right-wing conservative. He's somebody who's on the ground in these neighborhoods doing this work, who sees it up close and personal, you know, and he became controversial just because he said the riots aren't helping anything. You guys aren't helping us. This doesn't help our community. Like, what are you doing? You know, and because he's not following along, you know, like you said, when you point out like what you think the end game is, I'm kind of curious about that myself because some of it, a lot of these kids 
I, I don't think that they're even looking past the short term. And I mean, this is a terrible thing to point out, but science actually says that in many cases, in many people's brains, the part of your brain that works on long-term consequences is not even working right until your mid-20s, which is why you think you know everything when you're 18. But, it, but in, in addition to that, my friends and I who were like 9-11 era activists wonder if perhaps the whole point of this is to try to bring about a more accepting society to the idea that we will need to do things that are draconian to make ourselves safe, that we'll need to start taking people's rights away to make ourselves safe. You know, that if you want the, the violence to stop and the terrorism to stop, that we're going to have to do something. The, the thing is, I agree with you that for some reason their, their ire in the situation doesn't usually hit the left um, unless like they go way out of bounds. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't change the fact that it makes me wonder if perhaps somebody has a vested interest in, first of all, getting society sick of this crap. And, and second of all, to become more comfortable with the idea that maybe we just need some cops to go in there and bust some heads and take all these people to jail. You know, that's what I was saying earlier is that I have friends who are like moderate Republicans who would have never been OK with that three years ago, who are now are like, yeah, go get them. You know, like if they saw cops just rolling up on a black block and just take out their clubs and and do all the things that people claim that police are doing, they'd, they'd be cheering. You know, they wouldn't have been cheering three right. years ago, but they are. They would be now. Yeah. And and that's uh, we've experienced that. Actually, you, you mentioned Bill and he uh, he witnessed a situation like that and called the cops out on it. And it was I think it was a back to blue event. So the people who were in attendance were very much about, you know, you need to shut up and, you, you know, you don't say things like that to the cops. And he said, that's that's wrong. They can't do that. And whether that's just at face value wrong or he's thinking long term if they'll do it to them they'll do it to us either way um that that silence and that hey shut up because they're you know we're, we're having something is done against the person that we're against therefore it's okay even if it's objectively wrong it's subjectively okay because it's against somebody i'm opposing to uh i think it's important that we call that stuff out uh, that that mentality is not exclusive to the left i i hate to admit that I've seen quite a bit of it, actually. And unfortunately, and those kinds of... Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, unfortunately, that kind of behavior just encourages the other side to do it, just like racism. You know, you tell a bunch of yeah. people of color well, that they can't be racist, they're going to go be racist to white people who are in turn going to be racist to black people. It, it just perpetuates itself. You know, right. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, right. And it, it, the funny thing is, is I remember it just seems like race relations are so much worse than they were before all of this started. I don't think any of it's improving any of it, you know, but, you know, so I wanted to take a moment just to kind of ask you. All right. So because I have not really taken a bunch of time to get to know any of this, but I wanted to just ask somebody directly, because when I try to do Google searches to find things about the Proud Boys or Patriot Prayer, I generally just don't feel satisfied that what I'm looking at is a good indication of what the truth is. Because, you know, you guys, both, both of those organizations get, of course, you're supposed to be fascist and all that. But actually, before I get into that, let me ask a couple of very key questions. And I want to be clear, I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to these questions, but these are critical to recognizing fascism. Now, do you know anybody in Patriot Prayer or the Proud Boys that 
advocates for, say, a dictator to take control of the country? <laughs> um, I think it's just for sake of, uh, of transparency, too. Uh, Patriot Prayer is Joey Gibson's, I guess, brand is the best way I've determined sure. uh, to say that. There isn't actually a group. So there, there are people who support Joey and we, we come to his events, but uh, it isn't a group. There's no membership. Like the Proud Boys has a membership. So okay. uh, with okay. that out of the way, yeah, I, just, I thought it would be worth noting. Um, with that out of the way, no, nobody that I know at all is for dictatorship or one, one rule over anything. Or authoritarianism. We want everybody to have a, a voice. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Philip Anderson event that took place last year, uh, just right around this time. I think it was October, actually. And he got his teeth knocked in. Uh, it was a free speech event organized in front of the Twitter building in San Francisco or Sacramento. And before the event even started, he got his teeth knocked in by Antifa. And uh, they had shown up a few hours before us, so they were able to chase any and all crowd away. Uh, so by the time we got up on stage, it was just Antifa. It was not worth doing or saying anything. Uh, but he, I bring that up because he actually invited Antifa to come and speak on stage. Said, hey, if you guys have a point you want to make, if you have such a problem with the system and all the things that are going on, you should come up here and join us so we can find a way to unite. We don't have to go to war. And uh, they, well, violently rejected his offer. Well, right. I guess that comes back to my point was just to say that I don't, I've never run into anybody that I've talked to that's from those groups that advocate those things. And the only reason I brought them up is that they're in the definition of fascism. It's like, how can you guys be fascist and value free speech? How can you be fascist and be constitutionalists? You know, the American constitution could never be a circumstance. You can't have a fascist country with the American constitution. That's why it was written the way that it was. So those were not in any way meant to be gotcha questions. I hope you didn't think so. This was more of me exposing something that's absurd that's being said about you guys that I just, I was like, I've never encountered this before. So I was just giving you an opportunity on the record. No, I do not think we should have dictators. No, we should not be a fascist country. No, I don't believe in authoritarianism. I'm, I'm supporting free speech. Those are all things that, in my view, kind of disqualify you from the label. And the problem is, is that fascism, kind of like racism, they want to have their own version of the definition that's amorphous. And it reminds me of religious persecution, because when witch hunters or inquisitors went after people in the Dark Ages, they could kind of change the rules as to what somebody had to do to be in league with Lucifer so that they could make it up on the fly. And that's kind of what I feel is going on here that they want to be able to change what a fascist is in any moment. They want to be able to change what a racist is, a sexist, homophobic, transphobic, whatever. They want to be able to change the rules whenever they want, because what they really want is the ability to silence anybody who in any way opposes them. You know, and right. so that's why I asked that. I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. I don't, I've never believed that any of these people are fascists. You can't be a patriot and be a fascist. And I didn't think that they, they were. I just went into that story because I thought it was, it was very relevant. And, and frankly, for the time that I've been around, I've never known somebody with the, the balls or the ambition to, or even the desire to ask, have an opportunity to speak, um, largely because we kind of anticipated what was going to happen. And uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, Philip, he 
he took the, I mean, he got the full force, man. He, uh, a couple grand to get those teeth replaced. And, you know, and what kind of, again, does that make anybody think, man, I guess we don't need police. <laughs> right. You know, that make anybody, man, you know what? Screw the state. Who needs the state? We should just all be roving gangs and beat up people we don't like. And, you know, if we don't like something that they're saying, then we should just have the right to just beat them up. And I just, I don't think that, again, I don't, but there's, it comes back to those different groups of people. Like, you know, um, one of the things that my anarchist friend, uh, Derek Jensen and I talked about was that, unfortunately, these movements tend to attract people who are not the kind of people you would want to be your neighbor in an anarchist society. Like my ex-wife was with a guy who was an anarchist. He was actually a right anarchist, uh, an anarcho-capitalist. And, you know, she went off to live with him for a while and he beat her up and made her drink his pee. I mean, he was a terrible person, you know, and he had brainwashed her into the idea that he sh- she should never call the cops. You know, it's like, of course, that guy wants to be in an anarchist society, you know, because he doesn't want any kind of consequences for him. It has nothing to do with your freedom. But what were you going to say? Sorry. Uh, no, I think that that's a really good point. And actually, um, if you look at these these guys that are arrested on the uh, the Antifa side, you'll find this huge number of them are sex offenders, and a huge number right. of them are domestic violence. You know, they have domestic violence convictions, and that would make sense why they wouldn't want a uh, they wouldn't want any police in the society. But I'll tell you this too: um, there are, you know, and I, I've lived in neighborhoods where cops won't always be right around the corner, um, and there were certain things that we would handle ourselves. Sometimes just because the the legal procedure to to protect somebody um, isn't quite where it needs to be. Um, like I said, I think there are <laughs> still definitely changes that need to be made in the system, um, and that's that's one of them. So I, I without saying too much, I definitely know people who, uh, especially without police presence, if there was no police force at all, would be keen to handle a situation like that themselves. Well, and I understand the the point behind that. I mean, something horrible happened to my daughter when she was young, and I certainly contemplated it. I think that the problem is is that when people think they can handle it themselves and there's no neutral third-party arbiter, it can get really bad, especially if people are emotional. You know, like what I oh, usually definitely. tell these – yeah, that's like it, I wanted yeah. to tell these BLM people. I'm like, you're like, you want to – you want to replace the police with community policing? And like, here, let me show you a picture of community policing, which was them, you know, which is a picture of the South of them lynching a black man because he looked at a woman, you know, like that was community, that was community policing. You know, look, the community yeah. got together and decided to punish somebody. You know, that's, that's the mm-hmm. element of it where it just goes out the window. And I, and trust me, I get it. I, I totally get it. You know, like I watched the movie Boondock Saints was pretty fond of it, you know, because you get frustrated, especially where I lived, you, the police response time could be an hour or more. You know, and ironically to me, that kind of proves the point that getting rid of police certainly does not decrease crime. You know, right. um, yeah. but it, and that was, go my ahead. point wasn't. To, sorry, my point wasn't to advocate for you know people self policing. Just like stuff like that in some neighborhoods is really not going to be accessible. And if they're right. talking about having a peaceful anarchist society. And to your point about them not being the neighbors that you want, uh, probably you're just going to find, I think it's just stacking evidence that uh, it's not going to work. Right. 
I mean, and it will work for certain people, um, but they're not the kind of people that you want in charge. I think that's, that's the big push is it's all about being anti-authoritarian. But I was like, look, I lived there. The, the police were not the authoritarians I was worried about on a regular basis. The authoritarians yeah. were, you know, the Capone's gang. They were, they, which wasn't literally related to Capone. For whatever reason, the Hispanic game named themselves after him. You know, um, it was uh, the, the gangs that run that community were the authoritarians. And if they just take a mind to beat your ass because they think it'll be funny, then they're going to do that. You know, I mean, even in the, the ridiculous little experiments they had, like there's plenty of video of the Chaz Chop police. And I put that in quotes. You know, they're walking around with AR-15s. <laughs> you know, they're, they were mean to people. They bullied people. You know, and, in, and then Villain talked about how basically they killed two people. And it looked so pretty much was, like, you know, innocent people. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it was, I think in total there were four murders. Nobody touches on the un, unresolved uh, rape and sexual assault cases that came out of that. Uh, right. At one point, one of the AR-15s was stolen, and the comrade that it was stolen from posted on Twitter asking for funds so he could get another one. That's their that's their level. That's their. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen the pictures of their little their little self-sustaining garden, self-sustaining right. in air quote. Um, I, I mean, these are the people that want to take over the country. They're not going to last five minutes. Right. That's it. It would be it would be over very quickly and very abruptly, and any illusions that they had about what they were going to do as society would be over. But that's, and, and that's one of the, you know, actually it's an interesting point I was going to make earlier, but because I delved pretty deep into the Wee Spa situation, um, that was an excellent example of Antifa just going out of their way to attack peaceful protesters because the first protest, there wasn't even any, there was no proud boys there. You know, it was just soccer moms with like cardboard signs who many of which have never even been to a protest in their whole life, you know, and Antifa shows up like 30 strong and just starts beating the crap out of everybody there, you know, over something that has nothing to do with fascism. I, I have people in my life who are trans, who are peaceful, who I, you know, they, but they're not trying to like smear everybody's face with it. They, they live their lives and it's fine. You know, but my, the point that I wanted to make that I find interesting is that in MacArthur Park in Los Angeles, MS-13 runs the place, and they have murdered trans people in that community, and they actively assault gays and trans people who live there. That's in Los Angeles. So if Antifa wants to protect trans rights, why aren't they finding their way over to MacArthur Park? I bet you I got an answer. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Um, Disproportionately, and I, I don't... I don't particularly find myself um, discussing, you know, uh, the race issues so much, but it, it's it's something that certainly needs to be addressed. That uh, disproportionately, black people and um, Latino people are not so pro homosexual, very much anti, and and that's a, I mean, it seems to it's be very much a cultural thing. thing. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe more than a race thing. It's a cultural thing, um, but. Disproportionately, those groups of people are not pro, pro trans. They're not pro homosexual. They're not pro uh, like they're not pro a lot of things that Antifa is. And I think uh, I remember hearing about some big fallout between some BLM leadership and Antifa leadership up here. And I, I never pursued that, but it it would not surprise me because there are a lot of people that just don't support that that stuff, you know, on the BLM side. 
Well, so, right. yeah, why don't they make it? Why, yeah, yeah, why aren't they fighting Chris? Yeah, or, or going after any of these people that are actually, you know, like, if they want to make a statement, then they're going to go to a spa and, you know, beat up people that they know are not prepared to deal with them and say, look at us, we made a stand against, you know, um, transphobia and fascism. And they were even calling them names like racist and fascist. I'm like, none of these people are here <laughs> to protest in favor of right-leaning ideals. They're here protesting because somebody exposed themselves in an all-female spa and they don't like the policy. That's why they're here. And then they, of course, there was another element where they said, well, that was a hoax. It didn't happen, but it should be allowed to happen. You know, like what's the argument they made and then come to find out, no, it wasn't a hoax. Nope. That's proven now. The yeah. guy just got arrested for that. You know, it's just, it's well, another yeah. element. Just like, go ahead. It's, it, well, it circles back to the misinformation that they're, they're so famous for. Um, but also, actually I just lost my point. So, but it circles back to the misinformation hugely, sure. right? They have to, they have to muddy the waters because, their truth isn't truth. It will not stand up to scrutiny. Right. That was and, like and, shot in the foot, right? He shot himself. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that shit went on for days. They were spreading that everywhere. You know, and then I just started piecing it together with some anonymous friends of mine, and I'm like, this doesn't seem right. I don't think that's what happened here. You know, and then we put it together, and then, you know, it was funny because one of the guys I argued with about this was Boa the Fifth Column. Do you know who that is? I don't. He's an internet personality, and he presents himself like he looks like a conservative, like he's got a beard and he has a southern accent, and he always broadcasts from his um, from his uh, garage. But the truth is, mm-hmm. is, he's actually an Antifa advocate and like uses words like bash and all that. Um, and he's a felon because he was. Uh, charged with uh, visa fraud because he was bringing in a bunch of illegals to work for him. Um, now, whether or not he thought he was doing that benevolently, I have no idea. It doesn't change the fact that I'm pretty sure he got his hatred for the quote unquote fash when he was doing time in federal prison. But, you know, but the point is, is that, you know, he, you know, advocates for Antifa and a lot of people don't know that. And I managed to expose it through arguing with him about it on Twitter, you know, but um, I guess to, to get back to my original Go ahead. That's a congratulations. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to take off. I mean, I made a video about it, but I think a lot of, but I did encounter a lot of people that were starting to have questions about him because he was saying some stuff in his videos. He's very carefully putting his videos, crafting his videos in such a way that makes it look like he's not like on the left, but you can kind of tell that his 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 purpose is just to slowly, slowly, slowly radicalize people. But anyway, um, so I, I guess uh, the first thing I, you know, I'd want to say, because we've had a great conversation so far, you know, is there anything about, first of all, just to put a cap on it, that happened, you know, any misconceptions about anything that you've heard in regards to what happened to you and Jay that night that you would want to clear up? I mean, there. Are, as far as this conversation, no, but out there in the universe, there are quite a few. Um, one of them, actually, when I was going over your video, uh, you mentioned the, the close-up footage. The guy had his camera facing at the ground, and there are a lot of there was a lot of speculation about that. Uh, right. I happen to know that journalist uh, personally. His name's Nate Millsap, and uh, 
he he's somebody actually I did security for when we were down in the riots before this happened because he'd come and get footage of them throwing explosives and whatever. And of course, uh, Antifa notices the people who are recording them and they don't like to be recorded committing felonies. Um, and it's funny too. He he came on just like a lot of the guys that I know that are uh, now concert call themselves conservatives. They came on as neutral, just kind of wanting to see what happened, and then found that one side assaulted them and one side didn't. But that's uh, beside the point. So um, the reason his camera was facing the ground is that he was done filming for the night. His uh, the guy that taught him to you know kind of mentored him in his uh, his journalism told him even when you're done filming, always be rolling. So when he's done, he feels like he's got his footage for the night. He's, uh, he's headed back to his van. Uh, he keeps the camera rolling for exactly a situation like that. So if something happens or something happens to him or Antifa starts to follow him or whatever, that camera is just already rolling. And if, had he had to turn that camera back on, he wouldn't have caught nearly the footage that he did. He probably would not have gotten that camera on until after the it arrived. So, right. Just to clear that up, because I know a lot of people had questions about that. I'd heard any number of uh, theories about that. Uh, but that's why um, Nate had that camera pointed at the ground. Um, the police report, I remember reading in the police report that, uh, in quotes, that I said the guy had, the guy was wearing black, and that's all that I knew. And I explicitly right. told, I explicitly told them he was not wearing black. I was in such shock. And at that point, I had already come back to the scene. And uh, said, you know, he's he's just he wasn't wearing black. I don't remember. I he was not wearing black. He just wasn't wearing black. And she put right. was wearing black. And I don't know if I've ever been so frustrated in my life. Uh, so I wanted to clear that one up. Um, there's nothing really off the top of my head other than those that uh, that were important. Obviously, we covered that that he was armed. Um, I didn't know that he was armed. If I had known that, I would have just said it and made a point about him leaving it holstered. Right. Um, like I think that speaks to his character more than more than just we didn't have guns. Is that he did have one and chose not to use it. Uh, right. Right. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's all I've got off the top of my head. Um, did you have any specific questions for me? Well, um, I think. You know, it, I kind of covered the ones that I had about the, the questions, unfortunately, that will probably never get answered. You know, I did occur to me when I saw a picture of Jay, I was like, you know, he doesn't actually look like it. What was his ethnic background? Because he didn't strike me as being like straight Caucasian. I thought maybe he might actually have been mixed with something. Was he? Um, that I can't say for sure. I, it's, the thing is, it's not a question that I, I've ever asked. You know, I don't really care what somebody's background is. It's like No, 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 no. The only reason it was relevant to me was just to point out that they shot – that 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 guy wasn't exactly a blonde-haired, blue-eyed – you know what I'm saying? You know. Yeah, and so three weeks – to that point, three weeks prior to – or just about a month prior to Jay's murder, they stabbed Black Rebel and uh, just missed his kidney by a fraction of an inch. Right. And Black Rebel was stabbed because he's a right-wing journalist and it has nothing to do with his skin color or, or Black Lives Matter or any of that nonsense that they you know they, they say that they stand for. He was stabbed because he was a conservative. He wasn't protected for being black or, or anything. Um, so to that point, I mean, they, they really, they don't. Uh, as far as Jay, he came from um, northern Washington. It's, I mean, it's possible he could have had anything 
mixed in with them. I think there's probably not a whole lot of uh, purebred of any ethnicity anymore. I mean, people fly all sure. over the world now. It's really different than it was even 30 years ago. Um, but, yeah, anyway, the short answer is I, I don't really know. Um, that's, like I said, yeah, my I question. Yeah, I think you understand why I asked, though, is just to point out that I didn't – it, the yeah, this I was thinking of those. I was looking at the guy. I'm like, this doesn't look like your your neo-Nazi white supremacist here, guys. And that's yeah. <laughs> that's another comment that I've made multiple times. Is that I don't think I've ever even I didn't watch a lot of the footage from Charlottesville, but I'm like, I can't even remember a time that Antifa has ever actually even fought real fascists. Like, <laughs> I've never seen them show up to to just you know to deal with skinheads or anything. Now, mind you. Most of those racist organizations are really small nowadays anyway, you know, um, and I think Charlottesville just kind of put like some bullets in the head of what was left of them. But, you know, I, they just kind of attack whomever now and I, they just call everybody fascist. But, you know, in any case, those were the things that just kind of popped into my head. And I just, you know, having redone that video and reviewing it again, I mean, I'm, I'm very glad that I got an opportunity to talk to you because it put more humanity in the situation and I realized as I was as I was listening to my video again I'm like man I just kind of sounded casual I hope that Chandler doesn't listen to this and think that I didn't have any empathy for the people involved I just you know when you it was like with Kyle when I did that documentary like that took me two weeks of eight to twelve hour days literally hurting myself because I have a spinal injury that makes sitting in a chair painful now I have a special desk that lets me use my bed with my computer. But, you know, and I did the same thing for that one. And I got so involved in my work, you know, just by trying to get to the truth, you know, and having an opportunity to talk to you really helps me humanize the situation and make it more real, you know, and, and make it hit home. So I also hope that this conversation and, and, and the video that I did is in some way helpful to you and your ability to process the situation, you know, um, for me, I only recently got, I would say, monetized in quotes. I've been doing this for free for a long, long time. And even then, I still, I'm not, I'm not looking to make a ton of money. And maybe it'd be nice to be whole, but, you know, I'm just, my biggest motivation was that I was just frustrated with the lack of truth. I'm frustrated with the, the, the lies, that stuff really makes me crazy and it doesn't matter who's doing the lying to me but you know and I would agree with you that you know I'm just kind of seeing there is certainly one side that's doing more of it than the other right now to an amateurish almost embarrassing level and I realize that if there's going to be any sensible left movements in this country that people in my position need to stand up and stop letting this kind of crap happen because the in addition to that it's important to, to me, and it's one of the reasons, like, why I talk to so many people from the opposition is to recognize, I say opposition ideologically, not militantly, is that I hope that, for example, you and I could recognize that, you know, perhaps you would rather have me as a neighbor than somebody from Antifa. And we get all labeled together, too. You know, people are like, that's one of the things I pointed out in my, in my recent videos. I'm like, well, you know, whatever you guys thought you were accomplishing, you've ruined any credibility that the left has now because now we're you. You know, now that's us. That's what activists are. It's, it's these morons running around hurting people, you know, and it, it doesn't, it's not positive. It's not working. It's not making anything better. It's not making our ideas have more credibility. 
you know, so I guess what I'm getting at is that I would also kind of say, you know, because I'm sure plenty of right-leaning people will be listening to this broadcast. I have actually a lot of right-leaning fans because I don't spend a bunch of time beating them over the head with my ideology. I just try to talk about the truth. But, you know, is that there are, there are levels to this. There are people on the left who support what you're doing, you know, who, under, who also oppose Antifa, who also oppose rioting, you know. Um, and there's a, a thing I'll share with you real quick, but there's this uh, – I've brought it up on my podcast many times, but it was called the Ash Conformity Experiment. Basically what it's about is that they're testing to see if a group of people will – say that they agree with something just because the group is also agreeing with it. And they found statistically, this is an experiment that you can keep doing and that it keeps usually having about the same results. But in one variation of the test, if there's at least one other person in the room who stands up and says, no, that that's not correct, then it makes the others more likely to go ahead and tell the truth. And that's my role. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, and I, I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation. Um, now, I guess, can you, I, I do want to know a little bit more just so I can get it from the horse's mouth. It, it, let's assume I've never even looked at a protest before. Who is Patriot Prayer and what do they stand for? Um, so like I said, Joey Gibson is Patriot Prayer. Um, he's, that's, uh, I think the way that I best describe it is like it's his brand. Um the things that I can't attest to all the things that, that Joey stands for. I will say that he's, he's very much a Christian um, and he is like many of us in the way that he wants to be left alone. He doesn't want the government to come in and overreach and tell us what to do. Our system is designed in such a way that our representatives, they like to use the word leaders nowadays. They're not, they're there to represent our interests. Our representatives can't be telling us what we can and can't do. We are there to tell them what to do to vote what we would prefer, what would be ideal for us. And it's their job to enforce and affect those things that we want and not the other way around. I think I would feel pretty confident in saying that uh, about Joey, but I don't want to get too much into any nuance about what he would believe on this topic or that. Um, I could say he's a Christian. He likes to be left alone. And uh, he's, he's actually probably one of the most reliable people that uh, I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I'm thinking about reaching out to him to ask him to come on so that I can talk to him. Um, I have been given his contact information once. Maybe you can mention it to him. Um, you know, but, and I guess I, I'd also like to talk to somebody from the Proud Boys so that I can get their perspective directly from them, unfiltered by all of the nonsense. So if you're in any kind of position to help me with that, I would appreciate it. And I know you mentioned Gavin McGinnis, and he's known for being kind of a shocking personality. But, I mean, Joe Rogan had him on, you know, and he's, you know, I guess, what you know, you, you associate with the man. I mean, what are your impressions of him? Because the, the person you're describing kind of leads me to wonder, like, what I'd always kind of gather just by the little bits of him I saw is that he has, like, a character that he's playing, and then there's the real him. And I don't mean that he's being duplicitous. I just mean that I think part of him is more like an entertainer. And then, then there's another part of him that's like actually who he is. So what would your take on that be? That's hard to say because he, this is the, the first time that I've actually face to face ever met him. Um, and we, they have, uh, yes, yeah, so they have an event every year in Las Vegas called West Fest, And it's just 
just a party for the guys to get together. And so we ended up um, spending a lot of time talking about kind of the state of things. And it, in my experience with him, it has been part of his person sort of intense and, and to joke around and, and be obtuse. Um, and that's part of who he is, but he's not hard to get like a real opinion out of either. Right. So oh, that you, makes you, know, you, sense. you might, yeah, you might say something and then he'll respond with something just to make a joke out of it. And then you could follow up and say, yeah. And then also, and drive home the point and then he'll, usually have something articulate to say about it. Well, and that's kind of like, I, that was one of the reasons why I was willing to at least entertain the notion of like learning more about him because Joe Rogan doesn't just let anybody on his podcast. They have stuff to have some kind of semblance of sanity to them. You know, he's not going to yeah. bring them on, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, yeah, but the caricature of him, you know, I, I've seen him on video say some pretty crazy stuff, but again, I got the, impression that I'm just looking at somebody who's doing that for entertainment's sake. Like he's trying to shock people, you know, and in the eighties, that was very common. You get guys like Andrew Dice Clay, for example, would say really offensive stuff. And it was just part of his show, you know? So anyway, yeah, Chandler, um, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that. I think that's a lot Mm -hmm. of it as far as Gavin's concerned. Um, He's, He's a real guy, and he has he has real opinions and real takes on things, and uh, he's a very articulate and intelligent person. I, I would say that uh, he's definitely worth having on the show, um, but probably he's going to recognize that he's on air, and he's going to take the opportunity to make a joke, and that's just part of uh, who he is as well. <laughs> right. No, I recognize that. Um, well, Chandler, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I want to thank you for spending all this time with me. I just um, My conversations tend to be long because I want people to be able to express themselves in any way they need to. And, you know, um, I want to thank you for the things that you're doing. And I, I, I got to tell you, man, I mean, I'm being honest here. You're very well-spoken. You know, have you ever considered maybe running for office? I've had a lot of people suggest that I should do that or start a podcast, but uh, I'm not sure that it's necessarily up my alley but i certainly appreciate that and i I accept the compliment well yeah and i just i'm saying it's not just about like trying to tell you hey man you're good at this it's also just for the sake of you know we need more politicians who are patient people from the right and the left you know like i'm just sitting here having this conversation with you and it's not adversarial i'm sure that there's plenty elements of government that you and i probably wouldn't agree on you know, but if we were debating it on C-SPAN, then we were debating the issue. We wouldn't be, you know, fighting each other. You know, nobody supporting you would be showing up at my rallies, causing problems and vice versa. You know, unfortunately, Chandler, that puts you in a position where, you know, your country might need you. So it's something to think about because, you know, um, you're able to, you know, talk your, how you feel. You're honest, you know, and you're able to articulate yourself in a clear fashion. And that's important. You know, just something to think about, you know, put it away. You decide whatever you want to do with it. But I know that I've actually worked for politicians. I worked for Senator Mike Gravel, and it was my job to help him with his campaign. I got paid to do that. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, this guy should run for office, you know, because I think that you could win something, you know, you know pick your, your category well. But regardless, I wish that there were more statesmen in this country that had that um, not just a devotion to your principles, but also a devotion to the fact that, you know, you having different principles with somebody does not mean that they're not also human. So um, 
thanks again for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Was there anything else you wanted to share? Um, I think I've about covered everything. I, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's always nice to, to have a conversation with somebody, particularly who may have different opinions, and, and uh, just remind me that there is still some humanity left out there. There is, there is, you know, and I think that you have a role to play in ensuring that it stays that way because if I share this conversation with some of my leftist friends, they'll be like, man, that guy's not what I thought at all. I'm like, well, he's what I kind of thought he was going to be, but that's because I'm not juiced up on conflict and (laughs) thinking (laughs) irrationally, you know. So thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'll be in contact with you on uh, Telegram when we're done. Um, and everybody who's tuned in, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if this is your first time checking out V radio, please check out my archives. Um, I have content for the right and for the left. Um, I definitely think that, uh, you know, regardless of your political affiliation, you'll find something that you like. Um, I do have a Patreon and I am seeking patrons. Um, whether you're right or left doesn't matter to me, but if you're going to listen to my podcasts and my videos, be aware of the fact that sometimes you won't agree with everything I say, and that's by design. I want people to start entertaining these things and, you know, basically strengthening their brains by occasionally exposing themselves to ideas that they may not completely agree with. I think that that's something that sets us apart from the animals. And, you know, if we can't do this, it's going to be a terrible society that will evolve out of it. And it wouldn't be an evolution. It would be going backwards. Thanks again for tuning in to V-Radio.